0: This is Sick and Wrong, America's number one source for antisocial commentary, brought to you
1: by the Reach Around Foundation.
2: Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world's source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, Dee Simon. And the other host is not here today. I'm sorry, people. I have a gut-wrenching announcement to make today on Sick and Wrong. Lance Wackerly has quit the show. Now, I think it might be a temporary quit, okay? I don't want to cause any heart attacks out there. Mass hysteria. Um, he's really, really upset with me. You know, it's weird. You, you think you know someone for years, like I've known that guy longer than a decade at least, and you wonder, what's the straw that will break the camel's back? How far can you push a person till they snap? Well, apparently, what um. I guess kind of temporarily, let me stress that, um, broke our friendship, is the fact that I urinated on his Xbox. Not my fault. Not my fault. Seriously, it was not my fault. I cannot be blamed for this. And that's why, you know, I'm a little upset with him. I mean, understandably, he's mad at me because I urinated on his Xbox. But he's not even listening to my side of the story. Let me tell you what happened. I'm just going to give you a brief synopsis here. So we're partying. It's 4th of July, last Wednesday, just this past Wednesday. Partying, it's like, you know, it's America's Independence Day. You got to go get drunk and, you know, get some sparklers, drink some 40-ounce malt liquor, shoot some Iraqis, you know, celebrate America's Independence And so, anyway, we went to a few barbecues, and we got wasted. I was with Wackerly, P-Town, a few of my other friends. My girlfriend was there. We ended up just being—it was over in the East Bay, so I wasn't in San Francisco. So we ended up getting just really, really drunk. Didn't think it was a good idea to drive home. So Wackerly's like, well, why don't you spend the night at my house? That man's aware of my problem. He knows, due to our history—and this is is my point of contention here—he knows— that when I get drunk and pass out, there is an inherent danger of me walking in my sleep and urinating on something. If I'm in a strange house, I don't know where the toilet is, it might happen that I will pee in a garbage can. Pee on your sleeping girlfriend. Pee on your Xbox in this case. And he knows that. He invited me into his into his house and he knows that. Well, what ended up happening is I... Um, passed out, wasted. It was probably about 2.30 in the morning. This was a Wednesday night. And I was woken up at 4 by my girlfriend shaking me while I was emptying my bladder on Wackerly's Xbox. I thought it was the toilet. I had no idea where I was. I guess I had walked around the room. She woke up and then she was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I, I, I turned back and I'm like, what? What? And then I looked down and yeah, his Xbox was just covered in pee. And so... I just ended up passing out, back out, because I was just tired and wasted, and it was in no, you know, shape or mental state of mind to clean up my mess. And so the next morning, whackerly, oh, I was, you know, awoke before me, because that guy gets up at like nine o'clock in the morning, and he's like, what the hell happened in here? And so then I got up, and I, I you know, did what any man would do. I blamed it on my girlfriend. And she proceeded to slap me and was like, I didn't do that. You did. Why don't you tell him what happened? So I was like, all right, dude, you know, sometimes it happens. I get drunk and I pee on things. You know this. And it just so happened I thought your Xbox was the toilet. And he got really pissed. Totally out of character. I mean, he was like just angry. He's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? A string of expletives. I mean, he even threw a couple racist Jewish remarks in there. I, I you know, I looked at him. I was like, dude, you can't blame me. He did blame me. And so I offered to clean it up. And he's just like, get out of my house. Kick me out of my kick me out of his house. And uh, I haven't talked to him in like, I don't know, five days. So I'm going to try to smooth things over. I think I'm going to go over there and bring him a peace offering, like a six pack MGD or something. I'm not buying him a new Xbox because he knows by inviting me into his home that there's a chance that I might get drunk, pass out, and piss on something. And plus, you know, if you think about it, that Xbox is probably going to break anyway. So he's going to have to send it back to Microsoft. I'm just helping him. I think all he needs to do is to dry it off. Maybe let it air dry. Send it back to Microsoft. Aren't they like repairing a billion of them or something? Or spending a billion dollars to repair them? You know, I don't understand what the big deal is. And that that guy's got a lot of chutzpah, if you ask me. He really does. I, you know, I don't know. He's got some gall. God. But yeah, so I called him up. He isn't returning my calls. And... I was like, so uh, when you coming over to do the show? And he left the message. I should almost play the message on my phone, but I think I erased it, that just said, fuck you. So I'm assuming, until this blows over, Wackerly might not be on the show. Hopefully, maybe next week he might be back. So this week here, for episode 78 of Sick and Wrong, I'm going to air an interview that Wackerly and I did with The Lizard Man also known uh, as uh, Eric Sprague. You might have heard of him. He's a famous performance artist. He's undergone this body modification project where he's becoming an actual lizard. I mean, the man's got tattooed green scales head to toe, like his whole head's tattooed. He's got, like, uh, skull implants, like uh, these Teflon implants above his eyes. Uh, He's even filed down his teeth. I'm sure you've seen him. He, He was with the Jim Rose freak show for a while. Um, I, he, he does uh, the Jägermeister tour. He's also a writer and the, and, you know, the guy is an intelligent man too. And so, yeah, he gave us a very, um, thought provoking interview, a very eye-opening interview. And I was just actually thankful, grateful that he would even talk to us. I mean, I, I, you know, I was like, you know, the guy's a busy guy, took some time out of his day to give us like an hour interview. So I'm going to air the interview. It's enlightening. You'll get to hear a lot about his performance. And if he ever comes to your town, you should definitely go check it out. But in the meantime, go check out his website, thelizardman.com. www.thelizardman.com. Well, here it is: interview that uh, Wackerly and I did about a week ago with uh, Eric Sprague, the lizard man. <laughs> Hey, uh, Lizard Man.
0: Yes.
2: Hey, how you doing? This is uh, D. Simon calling from uh, Sick and Wrong. Cool. <laughs> How's it going, man?
0: Very good, very good.
2: Um, it's my co-host, uh, Lance Wankerley is here as well. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thanks. Yeah, well, uh, thanks for uh, coming on the show and for uh, doing this interview. I know uh, you're kind of a busy guy, so it's kind of difficult to coordinate.
3: <laughs> well, it's my pleasure, man.
2: Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you, it seems that like, um. The weekends are kind of a, a busy time. Are you uh, on tour frequently?
3: Uh, well, I tour. Oh, somebody's trying to go, get rid of this. Ah, <laughs> uh, there we are. Actually, no, that was my phone ringing an alarm to me, telling me that you guys were about to call.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. You,
3: All right. you beat the alarm in. Yeah,
2: well, we, we had said 8 o'clock, yeah. We're always on hey, time here. <laughs>
3: there you go. Yeah, um, I'm usually on tour. Um, like, Depends on what you call touring. Because I'm performing throughout the year but I'm touring in the way that most people think of touring like you know out going around the country on a bus you know with a couple of bands and everything I'm doing that usually uh, four to sometimes even six months out of the year because I go out fall and spring for the Jaegermeister music tour oh okay and the rest of the time I'm kind of out and running around on my own so like I said like right now weekends are kind of busy because what happens is I'll do shows you know Thursdays, Fridays and Saturdays and then I'll come home for the rest of the week so I'm just kind of in and out you know come home for a couple of days recover do some laundry or whatever and then it's back out fly out to wherever and do that show or you know and then come home and then fly out the next weekend to a convention or something
2: so, but, so typically are you like performing that. with bands at clubs or are you performing yeah like tattoo conventions
3: all of the above oh okay <laughs> uh, when, when, I, when I go out when I go out for for Jaegermeister i I'm uh I'm a host for a concert tours. So, you know, everybody's showing up to see the three, four bands that we've got out on the tour, and I'm just coming out before them, you know, giving you something to to look at and laugh at in between the bands, setting up the show.
4: So
2: you're kind of like an MC, along. sort of.
3: Yeah, and then when I'm out on my own, I could be going out, I could be performing with, uh, you know, with a band. One night I could be opening up for them, the band could be opening up for me. Or I might be going to a tattoo convention, putting on a show there, and sometimes there's bands there as well. I might be going, I might be at a comedy club. I could, you know, I've, in the last month I've done uh, a private corporate party at the House of Blues in Vegas. I've done a fetish ball in Arizona. I've done a tattoo convention in Oklahoma City. And yeah, a bunch of other stuff kind of blurred together. This one was I can remember right off the top of my head, and that's just in the last two three weeks.
2: So, so Lizard Man, you're a performance artist and an entertainer, right? That, that, that's how you describe yourself. I've seen your show a couple times actually. Most recently it was probably a few years back at a, I think it was Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco, and I think you're performing with Jim Rose at the time.
3: Right? Yeah. That would be that would actually be the last. Uh, last show I ever played with Jim Rose. <laughs> oh, really?
1: so, D, so D's senior act. I have to confess that I have not. So I, I would be interested in hearing uh, just a you know brief description of what what goes on.
3: Right, and uh, actually things have evolved a lot since that that time back at the, the club there, and it's a lot different being your own performer than it is being part,
1: part of a, a group.
3: You know, it's the difference between being a cast, being part of a cast, or being you know a, a singer versus being part of a band. There's a lot of things in there. The way that I usually try to describe my show to people now is I say, comedy sideshow, and then you know you get the, well, what does that mean? I'm like, well, if you understand the idea of comedy magic, you know, if you know what like Penn and Teller or The Amazing Jonathan do with with magic as is the pretext to the jokes and the humor and ideas they put out, I do that, but I do it with sideshow stunts. So, you know, instead of telling you what card you picked, I'm going to swallow a sword or get out of a straitjacket or maybe even swing by hooks pierced into my back.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so are you telling jokes throughout?
3: Well, it, it, it depends on the show. I mean, I don't do that... A lot these days, but it is something that I've done in the past. And actually, with suspension, because it's such a, a big sort of visual wow, a lot of times suspension shows are that's the show unto itself. Is there's, you know, some elaborate setup to go up and, and hang by the hooks, it's there. But I mean, it's the sorts of things that I'll do. And you know, a lot of it is just play like say it's a it's a comedy sort of idea, so whereas a lot of sideshow and you know freak show people come in to to try and play that ooh I'm gonna gross you out or ooh I'm gonna scare you or you know, you may have seen somebody stick a, a hat pin through their cheek, but I'm gonna shove this big skewer through my face. Yeah, you know, that that's sort of one of them. Is, I'm there to, to entertain people, to make them laugh. So instead of going, oh, I swallow the biggest sword in the world, no, I tell blowjob jokes and then swallow the sword.
2: <laughs> okay, so it's a little variation on the sideshow.
3: Yeah, my, my, idea, my idea is, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, I want to, they want to be the biggest or the best and things like that, and I can appreciate that. I have those same sort of ideas, and, you know, I, I like setting records and, and having that sort of thing too, but ultimately, personally for me as a, as a performer and an entertainer, what I like to take is, I'm like, instead of seeing how much I can scare the audience or how extreme I can be, let me see if I can take something that would normally make people run away and get them to sit down, watch it, and laugh their ass off. <laughs> and enjoy it. So, you know, if I can if I can take something that normally, you know, somebody wouldn't want to see, like a live stomach pumping, which is something that I've done for years, but make them laugh while I'm doing it instead of throwing up themselves, then I've really accomplished something.
2: Then you've actually succeeded. I remember when I saw you at Cops Comedy Club, you did do a live stomach pumping. and Yep. And, yeah, yep. and actually it was kind of, it was funny because you just kept adding more and more different liquids and i don't even like solids i don't even know what you were putting into your stomach at that time how, how does that work isn't is there a term called gavage or something
3: gavage, gavage, gavage. Is, is a word that uh, that was coined to describe that particular slideshow act it was created by a guy who went by the name of matt the tube right around like the late 80s 1990 or so and what it is is it's there's a process called lavage, it's just kind of like a washing out of the stomach, which is, these are all medical procedures. So a gastric lavage, he combined the two to call it gavage oh, as gavage. the title of, of this idea that he had to do. And basically what it is is taking um, the old hand-operated stomach pumps, but those always used to be, you know, stainless steel and, and tubing and all this. Well, he got everything he made it all for himself, but made it clear so you could see what was going on where normally if you walk into a hospital and they're pumping a stomach, you don't see anything. It's it's just like, okay, there's a tube going into that guy.
2: Yeah, it was like a clear jar or something.
3: We've got a big piece of uh, plexiglass pipe. It's, I don't even know what the diameter, probably about a five-inch diameter, you know, outer and almost that much inner with a line of surgical tubing that comes down it and snake that up my nose, down the back of my throat, all into the stomach. And then I get pretty much, you know, watching toxicity pump anything I want in and out of my body with that thing.
2: So what do you usually put into your stomach when you, when you do this act?
3: Well, a lot of times what I'll go for is I'll use a base of, uh, and this is sort of one of the, my take on it, there's only... Two or three other people that really do the act or have done. Yeah, the act. I've
2: never seen it done before. Any anyone
1: but you. Really. Uh, it's not surprising right. if you think about it. <laughs>
3: yeah, it's, it's not only is it sort of a hard thing to even get yourself physically to be able to do. It's an all-day preparation because you have to maintain your the inside of your stomach. So you have to very be very careful about your diet and everything leading up to you know even six eight hours before the show. Well, that so, that
1: leads into an interesting question. Did you? Did somebody te- Did you train under somebody to how to do this, or did you just figure it out yourself? And are you self-taught?
3: Right after after seeing after seeing Matt do it, I figured it it, it becomes very apparent how it's done because, like most slideshow acts, it's a, a very simple. What you see is what you get. So you sort of look at it, and it's you know a lot like sword swallowing, which I could already do. So I, I knew I could get the tube down, and so one of the biggest challenges for it really was just getting the apparatus. You know, and, and putting it together.
1: So, so well, it just takes balls, is what you're saying.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, for most everything that I do, I'm pretty much self-taught. Um, after I got going, you know, by about the by about the mid '90s, I had most of my repertoire there and was kind of building it up and just starting, you know expanding the level on which I could do things. But at that point, I did start to meet other performers and get involved with other people where I could pick up little things here and there.
2: And so you just combine a bunch of different liquids, solids, putting them down the tube into your stomach, and then you just right. pump yeah, that, it all back that was out. The
3: original question, right? Um, <laughs> usually, what I do is I go for a color change. So I'll try and put stuff that is mainly blue. I'll put a, a big blue base of like a Powerade or a Gatorade into the into the bulk and pump it in. And I can put you know chocolate and mustard and ketchup and, and whatever else strikes my fancy in there. Pump that in. And then while it's being pumped into my stomach via the tube that goes up my nose, I'll take, a nice, I'll take a light beer like a Budweiser or Corona or something like that, something with a good pale yellow, and chug it <laughs> so that that'll make together in my stomach so when it gets drawn out, I've got a beautiful green color to it.
1: I'm and, thinking of Superman ice cream. I don't know if you've ever had that, <laughs> but it's sort of multicolored in that fashion.
2: <laughs> and, yeah. and then I recall you so drank the broth afterwards.
3: Oh yeah, exactly. It's you know, it's you know, if you if you're gonna pull it, if you're gonna pull it all out of your stomach, then you, know, you got to do something with it. You don't just walk away. That would <laughs> be half an act. So yeah, we we pull the tube out, so everybody gets to see the tube get withdrawn. You know, this five six feet of tubing get pulled out of my nose, put it in a cup, and, you know, just pump some back into the cup, and usually raise it up and toast the crowd. And a lot of times, you know, not so much at uh, comedy clubs and smaller places like that, but if you're out, at, you know. Uh, a little bit of a, more of a punk club or on a rock tour or things like that, it's not uncommon for people to come up and have a drink of it themselves with me. <laughs>
1: uh, well, I can appreciate that. I've seen some performance artists out here who would probably throw it on the audience. <laughs> yeah. Right. And which... Uh, which Thankfully, you didn't do when I yeah, saw you. I can appreciate you not doing that.
2: So in terms of reaction, which gets the most horrific reaction? Doing like a body suspension, a lying on a bed of nails, or the stomach you know,
3: pump? It, it really, it varies so much from individual to individual that you can't tell. You can take somebody, you know, I've been out, you know, Out opening for Slayer and Slipknot, and I'm pumping my stomach, and people are saying, "Yeah, do it!" cheering it on, cheering it on, cheering it on. But then I go and you know get a power drill up my nose, and they all cringe. (laughs) Or I'll you know I'll go somewhere else, and it'll be the new. It really what gets a person really strikes a person in the gut varies so much from person to person that you can't say that it's the act. It's the person that's finding the button that for that individual. Um, I will say that one of probably the coolest reactions I've ever got came from doing the gavage, doing the stomach pump, where I was actually in Portland, Oregon, on stage in um, my stomach and this girl I can tell she's turning colors. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh, she's probably going to be a fainter, and I, I, do get a lot of fainters, especially in the really big crowds like that, because when you're playing a concert, you've just got to go so far over the top
1: to because it's such a big room, right? Everybody Reach the people in the, the
2: back. But I mean, are you looking at Hold the individuals it. while yeah. you're doing this? Well, oh let him yeah. so, finish his so, story about what happened to the girl. Oh, okay,
4: all
3: right. I, I, I single out people all the time, and I'll look to them and talk to them, and especially with with like that or like the skewering stuff like that. I'll, I'll start if I see somebody turn their head, I'll start riding them. I'll get on them. I'm like, come on, you've got to pick it. You gotta watch the show. Come on, don't turn your face away from me. Pay attention, the show's up here. It's not on your shoes. You know, so, um, and I think I did pick on her a, a little bit like like that, you know, get her to watch. So, like, her friends were like, come on, watch. And she was really trying and watching. And then she was right up on the barricade. And, you know, the heat, the pressure, the, the sick freak doing stuff in front of her. She threw up. You know.
1: <laughs> Projectile? It's,
3: Oh, not so much projectile, but there was a lot of volume and a lot of pressure there. (laughs) Nice. Exploded on the floor, but she immediately looked right up at me, smiled, and threw me the
4: horns.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now that's a true fan.
3: Yeah. After the show, after the show, she came up to me. I'm outside signing posters for people, waiting as everybody comes out. I always like to, you know, kind of hang out and meet everybody who's nice enough and Chum watch me nearly mutilate and kill myself. <laughs> so I'm out there and she comes up she goes, dude, you made me puke. I'm like, I know, I saw you right up front. And then she goes, that was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and I challenge you to find... You know, other for, for other entertainers, another person in the world that makes their life performing for people that can say, Somebody said to them, You made me puke, that was, that was the coolest, coolest thing, thing ever. You know, not a lot of people will ever get that reaction.
1: Unless Nicole Richie's at your show.
3: Yeah.
2: Unless she's bulimic. <laughs> right. So was this girl hot? Like was she attractive?
3: She was she was alright. She was alright.
2: <laughs> so what what about that corporate event? Did you do the stomach pumping thing there?
3: No, I didn't. I actually, at this point, because it's so involved, the stomach pump has kind of become a a special occasions routine for me. Because, well, because it, because it's involved. Number one, it involves carrying a lot of around a lot of apparatus. But also because it is such a, a power gut shot for people. And I have really, in the last two years, been focusing a lot of stand up comedy I and mean, even doing stand up shows without doing any stunts whatsoever. That I'm like, I got to hold it back till I know you. You really gotta. Warm a crowd up, Before be able you get to th- get them to go through the gavage <laughs> without losing it. So, you know, and and you risk losing them at that point too. Where I'm like, whereas like a straight jacket escape, sword swallowing, putting I've got a giant corkscrew I twist through my head, all of that I can get people to laugh at, no problem right now. But I'm like, the stomach pump's still a little bit heavy. You got to save it for those core fan audiences.
2: So you tailor your act depending on the event.
3: I do, I do. I mean, there's a it's there's going to be there's you know if you get too far down the spectrum though there's nothing I can do really to tailor because it it becomes like I'm green next to my town anything else I do I'm going to scare the living hell out of you (laughs) you know so
1: So have you ever have you ever turned down a show because you think that the people can't handle what you do
3: not because I think that people can't handle what I do, but I have had people call me to talk about doing shows where after I've talked to them about what I do and, you know, how I like to do shows. Because obviously, like any entertainer, I don't like to have to change my show. I'm not going to censor myself no. at a certain point. I have different styles of shows. and I've performed in theme parks and done stuff, and I think it comes down to, you know, a lot of times with kids, if they're there with their parents, depending on how young they are, I don't mind watching my language a little bit you know there for that sake but mainly i've got my show i want to do my show so i let them know up front that if they're hiring me this is what they're hiring and sometimes we just come to the mutual conclusion that maybe i'm not the best fit for them
2: so have you ever done a bar mitzvah or anything like that
3: no no i've never never done a a bar mitzvah or a you know birthday party or a debutante sweet 16 that's party (laughs) yeah well you know bachelorette parties we've had bachelorettes show up at uh, at shows and they seem to have a good time it, that's probably perfect because a lot of those you know they, they want to cut loose they want to come out and you know they can come hear my bit about waxing nun pussies or you know why duck <laughs> stuck dick and things like that that's the perfect entertainment i think
2: <laughs> that, that kind of leads into my next question what, what's the most strangest show you've ever done that you can think of off the top of your head that was just like a strange experience for all those involved
3: for all those about well, Somebody's always having a strange experience. Sometimes it's me, sometimes it's them. Um, this this one I did recently for this real estate company and it's actually their development company that puts together the deals on like mega malls. So they had people there from Home Depot, Tears, and all these other folks. It's you know, very much a, a suit and tie affair kind of there. But the people that throw their party in their company like that always go for weird stuff. They had me might make my entrance by being carried in on a platform that was on the shoulders of six dwarves. They <laughs> wow. stepped off stage, turned around, and, and went in. And they were kind of a, a rough crowd to start off with, but by the end, they all you know got a couple of drinks into them and, and warmed up. Um, that one was was a, that one was weird, I think, for for them and me at the beginning, and then just you know became a party. Another one is um, the Sobe Beverage Company has used me a couple of times. The obvious sign, they got their whole lizard app.
2: Right, on the yeah, logo. Yeah, the Sobe yeah. Lizard, yeah. So
3: they had me come up to this uh, snowboard open in Vermont one year, and this was right after uh, Pepsi had bought them out. Yeah, they used to be a little independent company, and then they got bought by Pepsi for uh, probably some ungodly amount of money. But all the people that worked, on the Sobey end were very young, very hip, very a lot of fun to work with, very great. And these are the same people I was working with up here for the, for the Open, but they had a few suits show up for Pepsi, I think it was kind of like, you know, okay, we bought you, we want to come watch the you, I mean, let's see what you guys are doing with the, the PepsiCo money now that we've got you on a, a newer budget scale. Yeah. Well, these guys showed up to find all the, you know, they're sponsoring snowboarders and other athletes, all those guys partying as they're prone to, me doing a show in this club. The, the bill was uh, Mini Kiss, me, and Funkmaster Flex. <laughs> so... Yeah, that bill alone, kind of surreal. I was having a great time, and I think, you know... All a the, strange mix. All the guests were having a really good time. Yeah, it, was, it was a question. It was cool. But you could tell immediately... Who the home office suits were Because they were the only guys in suits And they had their backs to the wall The far wall from the stage With this look on their face Like oh my god what have we
1: done (laughs) Not exactly (laughs) blending in with the Vermont crowd Sounds
3: like No no real obvious who they were (laughs) (laughs) So so you live
2: in Texas And just on a day to day basis How do people there deal with I guess your appearance Which is kind of what, what I wanted to get into next
3: Right. Well, I mean, in in Austin, it's very you know very accepted. I mean, yeah, I'll, Austin's it, a cool town. It celebrates its weirdness, and so it's very much. I'm just you know gradually after living here for a few years, becoming a you know pseudo figure or a recognizable fixture.
2: So, so have you ever had any weird reactions? I mean, obviously you have, but if, like, if, what's a typical reaction when you see someone like at a McDonald's or something?
3: Well, I'm, I'm lucky now in that I've, I've done so much touring and I've done enough basic cable and other TV that now the reaction really tends to be, hey, you're that guy from Ripley's, or hey, you're that guy I saw on the Discovery Channel or National Geographic or whichever one they saw. So I get a lot more of that than, you know, in the in the early days it was a lot more of like, hey, you're green.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so so that leads me to, to your physical appearance. We. What what type of body modification have you had done, like over the years?
1: We have a lot of listeners from uh, Europe and uh, you know the UK over there, and I don't know if they are uh, would recognize you. So maybe you should you know catalog what what you've had I've, done.
3: I've gotten to do I've gotten to do a fair amount of Europe. I've also gotten to do uh, Japan and South America. Oh, cool. Some, some may be familiar, some might not. I've done a couple. Of, I've done a lot of stuff for like the BBC and uh, RTL in Germany. So I've, I've got a I've got a world presence. I'm working on. But for the sake of covering it, um, the main thing, I think, for most people is uh, the split tongue. That's sort of where it really begins. That's what people sort of stick in their memory, even though it's a, a green face. But the split tongue and the filed teeth down to points really make an impact in people's memories. I've also had subdermal implants, which are just you know, pieces of Teflon implanted under my skin, on my skull, to create horned ridges over my eyes. And I've got a full top-to-bottom head-to-do tattoo of uh, reptilian scales and black markings
2: so so how did this all start lizard man like where, where did it like where did you get the idea from and I, when well, did this it start all,
3: it all basically you know started when i was a small boy and, and like everything first, <laughs> uh, i suppose but
2: you're like six really, you're like you know i want to be a lizard one day
3: yeah yeah no nothing quite like that really the whole the lizard thing came after the idea the idea wasn't lizard man to begin with the idea was I was uh, in college, just started out in 1990, and I had this idea. I I'd just gotten it in my head that I really wanted a tattoo. I, you know, get some friends with tattoos, are really starting to find tattooing. I found this book on Japanese bodysuits and that's when it sort of impacted for me. I'm like, look, if you're gonna do it, you got This is the way to do it. This is the way to do it right.
2: Yeah, you don't just yeah, get but, that small Tasmanian devil tattoo. You gotta get yeah. the full tattoo.
3: And I'm, but I'm like, I'm not Japanese. I don't want koi and dragons and stuff like that on me. I gotta come up with my own thing. Well, I was studying philosophy, and I was also studying art, uh, and I was getting very into performance art and conceptual art, so I came up with this concept art piece of a full-body transformation, and, you know, having an interest in circus, I don't think, because it's really a lot of ideas and things that I liked, and interest sort of converging into one project, you know, a way of melding all the stuff mm-hmm. that I really love. So I got this idea, and I, you know, came up with, I'm like, it'd be cool if somebody transformed their whole body via surgeries and tattooing and stuff. And I was looking at people, like, this is a, about the time that Orlon was really sort of going with her plastic surgery work. And I was influenced by Joseph Boyes, Vio Conti, Chris Burton, Carol Schneeman.
2: Who Who's Chris that? I don't, I don't know if I
3: know that guy. Just a the list of different performance artists that you know, oh. people may or may not know if, they're, if you study it at all. Chris Burton is uh, very well known for being the guy who got shot on purpose in a gallery. And also had himself crucified and uh, placed on a VW bug. Okay, ball. I have I'd,
2: heard of that guy.
3: Yeah, so there you go. You've got you know, people, actually that might have been a conchie, but either way. So these are sort of seminal performance artists that were definitely influences to me. And I was looking at how to do because at this point I was doing actual performances where I was doing costumes that completely transformed what I was. And it was related to some ideas and philosophy that I had. You know, a lot of very, very student art, very college student art sorts of ideas. A lot of uh, pompous, high-minded notions and things like that.
2: So you are in your early 20s at this point? Were you living in Texas at yeah, the time?
3: I was about 19. I was actually going to school in central New York, in Oneonta, New York. I went to a little liberal arts school called Hartwick in Oneonta. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so what happened was over the course of years, by the time I got to be a junior senior in college, I'd been living with this idea in my head and exploring it in different ways, and finally sort of said, you know what, I actually, this is something that I want to do. So I had to, I'm like, okay, if I'm going to do it, well, how am I going to transform myself into what? And I played with a lot of ideas. I thought about, you know, writing a story that would cover my whole body. I thought about doing mazes, polka dots, zigzags, all sorts of things. And ultimately, the design idea, the aesthetic that appealed to me the most was the reptilian one. And thus, and the other thing that was great about it was it combined a lot of ideas for stuff that I wanted to try if I could, because at that point, there hadn't been any split tongues. Deep yeah, uh, but... filing was exceedingly rare, still is. You know, but I was like, well, if I ever do manage to pull these other things off, they'll all come together nicely in one package with this visual theme. So,
2: so what was... So it, so you you started doing... What was the first thing that you had done? Did you have your tongue split first?
3: Yeah, no, the first thing that I had done was in, like, 93... Either, I always have a hard time remembering if it was December of 93 or January of 94, basically during my winter break... Um, I went and got my first tattoo, which was part of the, the design that's on my, on my back right now. Because I had the whole point, I had never gotten a tattoo, so I was kind of like, well, this is a great idea, but what if it turns out that I'm a complete pussy that can't handle tattoos? <laughs> so I had to go get something that I thought would hold up on its own if I did bail out. Or would be the good starting point for doing the whole transformation. So really, what I did was uh, this whole design process, and then I had to break the design up into chunks so that at any given point, I kind of I had an out where I'd be like, well, I didn't do everything, but I still don't look too horrible as this partial piece of the design. So that's why I did a lot of the black marking stuff first.
2: The black, black so that on your back.
3: Yeah, and once I once I was into it, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to be able to pull this off. I'm like, yeah, let's just now we can just go whole hog and start going off. But I also always had, I still had that idea of, well, if I go out and I'm going to perform and me and public, people are going to be taking pictures of me. I don't want to look, you know, this horrible asymmetrical, like, hey, why is there one piece here and one piece there and all that? So, you know, then we started a, a process of building upon it to finish out the whole design.
2: So how many hours in total of tattooing have you had done?
3: Um, it's it's a rough estimate that I have right now. That's basically about 700 hours is what I is what I can figure by sort of notes and cards and session things that I do have. And I didn't keep really good track in the beginning because as much as I had a a plan, I have just I've always been bad. As a my my old uh, art professor used to yell at me for this is that I'm not great at documenting. <laughs> and I, it's something that I've gotten better at over the years. But I could you know still be better at it. So those very early years.
2: Do you have any of your skin that's not tattooed?
3: Oh, well, yeah. Right now, basically what I've got is I'm a giant coloring book at this point. So I've got this, this whole outline of the design, and now we're spending our time filling in the green on the scales. So there are there are a lot of scales on my body that don't have any green ink in them yet, but the outline of them is there. So Bes-
1: I've besides back- completing the tattoo, is there anything else that you want to do? Any other modifications? we will complete the transformation, I
3: guess? Right. Well, the focusing on the tattoo right now. That's my main my main goal, is to just get the tattoo work done. You know, I just really want to get the green in the rest of the scales. And even if it's just the, the base green, there's actually three different shades of green in most of the scales. So it's a really involved process that I'd like to, to push along. I always keep an eye. I'm very active in the body modification community, and have a lot of friends in it, You know, obviously just by sheer association at this point, um, that I, I talk to him and I see what's going on and that's the way that my implants came about was nobody was really doing subdermal implants until Steve Hayworth came along with them in like the early to mid-90s so I was sitting there, I'd already gotten started but I saw somebody else that he had done work on and I was like hey, that's a really great idea, I could I could definitely incorporate that into what I'm doing
1: Right, it goes but back to you know your choice of the lizard it allows you a lot of uh, range it seems like with that type of stuff
3: Right, and it's it's really it's like I say I usually say you know I use Blizzard man as a statement because it's easy catch it's an easy hook you know mentally yeah. people can grab all of it but it's a reptilian design and it's not like I can't do something else because of it I you know, it's not a it's not a restrictive theme I, I want to try and keep a certain unity about it but. By the same token, if there's something I really want to have done and somebody says, well, that's not very lizard-like, well, they could screw off. I want it.
2: (laughs) So so what was the most painful body modification you had done? Like, I mean, tattooing your scalp must have hurt.
3: Well, tattooing the scalp was pretty intense, especially since we did it in one session, this nine-hour deal. Um, But I would say my implants, I often refer to them as the most painful thing I've ever done on purpose. (laughs) <laughs> and I can't remember an accident that hurt more either. So they're probably the most painful thing I've ever endured in my life. Are you put
2: under when they do that, and they just kind of no. put the no, nope, they're not. No
3: anesthetic, no anesthetic involved. Oh man,
2: yeah, that that must have hurt. What about I? I read on your website that you have um, that genital piercing, the alpidrava, right?
3: Right. I have. I actually uh, took mine out a little over a year ago. I was developing some scar tissue on the top, so I. Ended up taking that out.
2: So, just for the listeners here, to explain that, what what exactly is an is it I've heard that's the, uh, I guess, the most gnarliest genital piercing you can get.
3: Yeah, I don't, I don't know how it. Uh, you know, I, I think that what it is it has a very good reputation among women for <laughs> male genital piercing. It's the one that has a, uh, a brief mention in the Kama Sutra, depending on if that translation section is there. And the ones you've got, basically what it is, is if you're looking at the head of a penis, you're going to pierce in the bottom all the way through and out the top. So whereas a Prince Albert, which a lot of people are familiar with now, goes in the bottom and comes out the end of the urethra in a ring, just take that same bottom hole but go vertically straight through. So what you have is a, a bead on that barbell on the top and bottom.
2: So it's like a metal rod through your shaft?
3: Exactly, yep. Vertically, vertically it- through. Well, vertically through the head. You, don't guess- go, not, you can do deep apodravias, which which are placed in the shaft. But the purpose there is to uh, give the head a little more weight and provide the the beads and the barbell for stimulation. Makes you a little bit wider or taller, depending on your point of view. There.
2: So, <laughs> if, you, if you don't mind me asking, does it make a difference during sex?
3: Um, as, as a man, you really don't notice it much at all. Different partners report different sensations. That's why I say I think it has a a really good reputation in that a lot of times women respond very favorably to it. So that's where it's got its reputation. You know, if you're if you're a guy and you go out and get it, it's not so much going to do anything for you except in that you might see the reaction to it by your partner and that might you know spur you on a little bit more. As what it is, it's basically something you do for the person you're having sex with, not for yourself.
2: So it says on your website that you are married. You, um, yep. W- what did your wife think of all this? Were you married before you started this? Did you meet her yep. before?
3: I, I met my wife the first time I came to often and I was on tour in 1999 with uh, Godsmack. And we came and we had talked. We were both uh, involved in a body arts news group online. And she and a couple of other um, people that I knew from there, and a couple of friends that actually lived down here, all came out to the show, and that's when she first met me. And the first time she actually got to to see me, because uh, it was the show we used to wear uh, ninja suits before to be covered up and things like that. first time she saw me was when I came out on stage in a pair of Speedos, swinging a sword, and, you know, sticking needles through my cheeks and my throat and all that. So that's, you know, how she got to see me. And, you know, she never really saw me, you know, before I was tattooed or before my tongue was split or anything like that. So, obviously, she was cool with it. That was 99. And then in 2003, we uh, went to Vegas and got married by Elvis.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, so I guess love at first sight. So so what does her family and and your family think of uh, the the transformation, I guess, the the body project?
3: Well, my family is very cool with it because, and this is what I have to sort of tell people when they remember it, is that, Number one, it wasn't like an overnight thing. I didn't just wake up one morning and start doing this. No, so the, the people that can best understand you are usually your family because they've been around you the whole time. They can see the natural progression. You know, so if you talk to my, my mom and dad about that, they're like, yeah, you know, in hindsight, we can, you, know, you can see how things I did before could lead up to this. So they have a, a very good understanding of, you know, how I got to the point that I'm at. Whereas if I just meet somebody, they're like, oh, my God, you're green. How the hell did that happen? You know, they're in a state of shock. Whereas for my mom and dad and my sister, they're like, yeah, we talk gradually building. you know, it started here, and this, to this, and this, 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 and this, and now he's where he's at now. So they're, and they've always been really supportive. If, if it weren't for how cool and supportive my family is, I don't know that I ever would have, you know, made it. Um, but that's that's them. Um, my wife's family, also very, very cool about it. Um, her mom, um, her dad's actually deceased, but her mom is, she's like, well, you know, if, if they love each other, I think mean, that's what matters. It's not about whether or not you're a freak. It's about how good a relationship you can have.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, you got to admit, I think that's pretty cool. Well, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up, I don't want to take too much of your time. But uh, real quick, do you have any recommendations for aspiring uh, body modifiers? For for Just- hiring. No, no, aspiring people that are looking into uh, getting some body
1: modification done. Or just general performance right. artists up and coming. Is there any uh, pieces of advice you have for them? Like if um, you look yeah, back.
3: So that, was, that, was just, that was just really weird. I'll give you this. It was like a little bit of a, a catch in my cell phone where I, I lost the asp of a okay. firing there. So it sounded like you either said recommendations on hiring or recommendations on firing. thats I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> but, Okay. Um, I actually wrote, um, probably about two years ago, I wrote a, an article for uh, Be Amazing, which is probably the, well, it's definitely the top site for body modification online um, that I write a column for from time to time called So You Want to Be a Freak. And basically what it was about was if you wanted to be a professional freak, if you want to be a performance artist. And a lot of people have actually told me after like, that this advice and the stuff I talk about there pretty much holds true. Anyone who wants to be a self-employed entrepreneur—if you have a dream, you're going to try and follow it. There's some certain things you have to do, and I talk about, you know, what sort of things you should be knowledgeable. You know, you're going to need some business knowledge. knowledge. What what really gets me is the case of people go, "Oh man, it's so great what you've done. I'm going to run out and I'm going to do it." I'm like, you don't run out. It's not a spur of the moment thing. It's something that takes planning. Even if it's not going to be that you're tattooing your face and going into sideshow, if it's just oh, I want to open my own restaurant or something like that, you got to take the baby steps first. You can't just have a dream and try and go from from start to my dream is achieved. You got to do that work in between, and that's what people miss. You got to, and you actually got to love it. You got to, you got to.
2: You have to be you gotta
3: That grind, you got to look at that grind and that hard work, and go, I'm going to enjoy doing this. I'm going to love the fact that I'm busting my ass. If you can't say that about doing it, you're probably going to fail.
2: Yeah, so it's definitely not something that's spontaneous, right? So you do a blog for BME though, right, on your website?
3: Well, yeah, I, I keep uh, I do uh, a journal, a nearly daily one on uh, I, the I am community, which is part of BME. And what that is 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 all a lot of the sort of the day to day. I call it my mundane journal. It's the if you want to see what I'm what I'm doing or where I am. That's a good one. And then on MySpace, I do a, a once-a-week-on-Mondays blog where I kind of do a little bit more of a opinionated link, collections of links and things like that, in addition to sort of regular news and wrap-ups.
2: And your website's thelizardman.com?
3: Exactly, thelizardman.com.
2: And you have videos up there. Do you have DVDs or anything out there for sale?
3: At this point, I'm not selling DVDs. For a long time, I've I've stayed away from the idea of packaged DVDs because it's a weird thing when you're into live performance. That's like I really love live performance. That's the way I like to see things, and that's the way I like to do my show and have people experiencing it. So occasionally, you know, you get to that point where if you put out too much video stuff, that people like, oh, I've seen it, and they don't come to the show. And that's the sort of you know avoiding that sort of prejudice has kept me from putting something out. I'm actually in talks right now with a, a company about maybe doing a TV project, so those sorts of things might change, but if I'm going to do stuff to that medium, I want to do it directed in a way that really addresses that medium, as opposed to just saying, hey, if you came and saw it live, there was a camera in the back, this is what it looked like from that point of view. You now, if I'm going to do a DVD or something like that, which you know eventually I might, I want to make sure that it's focused on exploiting that medium to the, To make me happy and to be better for the viewer.
4: because you know, I don't
3: want just. You know, people put up a concert video. If you really love the band or whatever, yeah, you get something out of just somebody held a camera there. But it's a lot better if the band or whatever is performing for the camera and is taking advantage of it. Yeah, you know, in the same way that you don't just take your book or you know, your short story and just slap it up as text online. You can do so much more with it. You're, you're cheating yourself and your audience if you don't do something directed towards the medium that you put out your work in
2: well definitely and we, and we can keep updated on, uh, on on the different events and releases you have by going to your website
3: right yeah that's that's really what I try to push is I'm like you know if people really want to get a sense of, of what I'm doing right now and what I'm about now it, it's really it's the live show it, it's coming to see it live
2: do you have any upcoming tours
3: um, I, I know that in the fall we're going to do another tour with Jaegermeister. right now the you know various bands are being sort of courted to see who's going to end up headlining that but i've been hosting for them for about the last four years and uh neither neither i nor they show any signs of wanting to change you know or, or go different directions away from each other so i'll be looking forward to getting back out with them probably about mid-october um, between now and then i'm just going to be doing various different things i'm going to be up in uh, fremont for hooter palooza uh this tuesday which is actually my birthday as well so i get to wow. well, happy birthday. birthday which is always fun and yeah, after that, I'm going to be out in New York for uh, the opening of the Ripley's Auditorium in Times Square. Um, and I think after that, I'm in St. Louis, uh, something in Tennessee in July. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's the best part is, is that I, I get behind. I'm in the process right now of actually putting up the dates and stuff on the website, getting that caught up. But that's usually the best way to figure out where I am and what I'm doing.
2: Oh, cool. Well, we'll definitely, next time you uh, come up to the San Francisco area, we'll have to come check
3: you out. Well, that'll, that'll be Tuesday
2: in Fremont. Fremont. <laughs> yeah, Fremont is, is close by. Well, Lizard Man, thanks for uh, taking the time to, to be on Sick and Wrong. Fascinating thanks. guest, and uh, I've, I've learned a lot from this interview.
3: <laughs> cool.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, man.
0: All right. All
3: right thanks a take, lot. Take it easy, dude. All right.
2: Man, very talkative, but very informative. Taught us a lot. And seriously, if you want some more information about it, go check out his website, www.thelizardman.com. You know, after we did the interview about like the next day, I was sitting there thinking I forgot the one question that I wanted to ask him. I was thinking of doing a body transformation project where I become a unicorn. I was just wondering like what steps I would need to take that you know, to go in that direction. I'd have to, like, figure out how to implant a horn into my forehead, grow like a silver mane that would probably extend down my back. I'd also probably have to get a horse tail implant, and then um, skull elongation, maybe, to have, like, more of a horse face, and uh, a unicorn voice implant. I don't know how they speak, I imagine they have a very high horse voice. I don't think they have that Mr. Ed voice. And you know, I I totally forgot to ask him that question. I was chiding myself the whole day. But uh, maybe maybe I'll email him because uh, he seemed like a very informative fellow. And um, I thank uh, Lizard Man for doing that interview here on Sick and Wrong. Might have to have him back on the show sometime in the future. Well, uh, stay tuned next week. We'll be back with episode 79. In the meantime, people, if you get a chance, go vote for us on Podcast Alley. Uh, we're moving up in the ranks rapidly and, uh, last, last month we're at like, I don't know, I think we're the 30th podcast out of everything. So, uh, yeah, this time we want to get in the top 20. So, uh, yeah, if you get a chance, just, uh, go to our website, sigrongpodcast.com and, uh, give us a vote. We'd appreciate it. Hopefully next week, this will all blow over with Wackerly. I'll give him my peace offering a of beer and he'll be back on the show. But you know, it's really showing a very negative side of his character. It's a real character flaw. With uh, Wackerly here. You know, I, I you'd think he'd be more understanding of people's foibles. But uh, that guy's got a chip on his shoulder a mile high. Seriously. Mile wide. I don't know. But anyway, I, I'm going to try to smooth things over. I got a good rapport with people. Uh, you know, I did take a couple psychology courses in college. So, um, yeah, hopefully uh, Wackerly will be back on next week. Till then take it sleazy
0: You check
4: out the new Sick and Wrong forum, sickandwrongpodcast.com. In your monkey suit, you just look like a monkey. <laughs>
0: Chicago morning, a poor little baby child is born in the ghetto. In the ghetto. And his mama cries. Cause if there's one thing she do not need, is another hungry mouth to feed in the, in the ghetto. People, don't you understand? Then one night in desperation The young man breaks away He buys a gun, he steals a car Tries to run, but he don't get far And his mama cries As a crowd gathers round An angry young man face down In the street with a gun in his hand they get ghetto And as her young man dies